We've got some Bibles lying around if you want to grab one of those or if you want to swipe open your phone. We're taking a break from our series in the book of James and we're going to be in Isaiah 61 today. This is where our name, The Grove, comes from. Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 4 and verse 11. Now I want to start off and I want to ask you a question. If I knew what your story was supposed to be, would you want me to tell you? If I knew what God wanted you to do with your life, would you want me to tell you? And would you want me to tell you even if it meant you would go through struggles, difficulties, pain, and suffering? Would you want me to tell you so that you did that thing that God would have you do? Or would you rather not know and live a nice, comfortable life? but be robbed of a life of meaning. The question I have for you today is, are you really living the life that God has in store for you? And if you loved God with all of your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength completely, would your story change? Would it be different Would it be a completely new story? We're all in a story. And we're trying to figure out what kind of story it is. Is it a tragic story? Is it a happy story? Is it a story of transformation? Is it a story of suffering? Or is it a little bit of all those things? And who are you in that story? Are you a victim? Are you a villain? Are you a hero? Are you a mentor? Or are you a bit of all of those things as well? And can the story that you are in change? And that's what we're all trying to figure out. At least it's what we should be trying to figure out. And there's too much at stake for us not to figure out what kind of story we are in. And what we want to be about, what the Grove is about, is to be a place Honest, authentic people who are approaching this story together and asking, are we in the right one? And is there a greater story? To challenge each other to dare to hope that there is a greater story and then be swept up into it. The Christian story, your story, your story is hidden in the Christian story. And from the beginning, I, the Grove, we have seen it as an honor to walk alongside people as they are exploring this story and then being swept up into it. So, it's an honor. But at the same time, this is a story that you must find yourself. We find it together, together as friends, as a family, yet at the same time, you have to taste it, you have to see it, and you have to hear it. The church is meant to be your guide to that story, but you have to find it also. And that's exactly what Isaiah 61, where we are today, is all about. In this, what I'm about to read to you, you're going to find your story. It's all here. And you can be swept up into it. You just have to step in. So let me read it. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. 
He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. Verse 11, For as the earth brings forth its sprouts, and as a garden causes what is sown in it to sprout up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before the nations. These verses I just read are the story of what happens when Christians united together and in Christ come together and do something. So today I want to tell you about these people. You are these people. And today you're going to hear the story that you're meant to be in. But the challenge is, will you live into it? So first, first point, who we were, the story, and the story of every Christian is a story of people who have been rescued. You've been rescued, and it's at the very heart of your story and the very heart of who you are if you are a Christian. Verses 1 through 3 tell us of what you were before you were rescued. And it says, well, before I tell you what it says, I need to tell you this. Fast forward, Jesus walks into a temple, and he's about to preach his first sermon in the Gospel of Luke. The very verses that he uses to preach from are, are verses today. And what he does after he reads them is something marvelous and monumental. So I want to read to you what he does. So, so he gets up, stands up, and begins, and he reads from these verses, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll, and he gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. He sat down because he was about to preach. That's what they did then. They sat to preach. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him, and he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And then he began to preach. And what is marvelous and monumental about what he's just said is that he has claimed that he is the one who would come and rescue you and rescue all of humanity. It's a monumental claim, it's a claim that would get somebody killed in that time, and it's a claim that did get him killed. But it was true. He came to rescue you. But why did you need to be rescued? It's in the verses. Because we are poor in spirit. 
says he came for the poor. Not the physical poor, but the spiritual poor. Meaning we were spiritually bankrupt. We had a debt that we could not pay because of our sin, because of our shame, because of guilt that had built up over the years and over the generations. We were spiritually poor. And because we couldn't pay this back, we were thrown into a prison and we were bound up as captives. And because of that, we were brokenhearted, our heads were hanging low, and we are awaiting a future that was worse than the prison that we were in. But, then comes our Savior who tears a hole in the heavens and he comes down and he comes up to the prison and he rips open the prison gates and he comes into the prison for you and he rips open your prison and he throws you up over his shoulder because you are too weak to get out yourself and he carries you out into freedom and there in freedom he heals your broken heart. And then you stand up and you look back at the prison that you just came from and he begins walking back there and you say, what are you doing? And he said, I'm not done. I'm going to go pay your debt. I'm going to pay the debt that you owe so that prison guard of death never comes back for you again. And there he goes, walking back to walk up upon the cross where he would die in your place for sin, for shame, for guilt, but then would rise. And then three days later, you meet him there out in freedom. And you're happy to see him. You embrace him. And then he says, come on, we've got some work to do. So that was your first point. The first thing he does is he rescues you. And then he gathers up all of those who are rescued. And he tells you who you now are. So this is our second point, who we are. We've been rescued, we've been gathered up, a bunch of misfits, a bunch of rebels, a bunch of scoundrels, a bunch of outsiders, and he gathers us up together as one, a family, a group of unlikely friends that become a family. This strange conglomeration of people who have but one thing in common, they have been rescued by the king of heaven. And so... This king gets to work on this unlikely group of friends, and he binds us to one another and to himself, and then he begins to go to work on us, and he begins to grow us, collectively binding us more and more to each other, and individually he's growing us more and more into who we're made to become, and he is relentless about it with you. He presses in forcing you more and more to become who you're made to become. He is a king, and so he's powerful, yet he's a tender shepherd. So when you need it, he gives you mercy and he gives you grace. This group of people, unlikely friends, united together as one, who aren't even close to perfect, but they're in the king's crew. So he doesn't promise us an easy life. And he doesn't promise us a perfect life, at least not yet. But what he does promise us is a meaningful life. A life that is growing in strength, in wisdom. 
a life that is growing into the type of person that looks at the suffering that's before you and is bold and says, no, I'm facing it because I know that on the other side of it is meaning and even in the fact through it, there is meaning. And so my prayer becomes not for me to be able to avoid this suffering and this pain, but to have the strength to walk through it. That's what it means when it says we are oaks of righteousness. That is who we are. Oaks of righteousness. Strong and sturdy. And it's not one oak, but it's oaks. Each person growing in strength, but also being bound to one another. Helping each other grow. That's who you are. Oaks who have been rescued and who are growing in strength and in love. Growing in strength to face today and tomorrow's problems together. And then the king gathers up us oaks and says, I've worked on you long enough. There's still plenty of work to do, but now we've got some work to do in the world. And this is our third point, what we will do. So he takes these oaks, these people, these rebels, these misfits, and he takes us up upon the mountain. And he looks us, and he takes us up there, and he says, now look down upon the earthly city. And we look down, and he says, you see that ruined city? It's time to rebuild. That's what is meant when it says, the planting of the Lord, he, those will rebuild the ruined city. So the king says, okay, let's get to work. And he sends out an army of oaks to be planted in neighborhoods and in workplaces with a purpose, and that purpose is to rebuild, to raise up the former devastations, to repair what humanity has done here. From generation to generation, our people, us, humanity, we've been tearing it down. We have seen what could have been, and instead we did the opposite. And so he says, rebuild. Want to know the story that you're in? It's right here. It's this. And how it looks specifically for you, I don't know. You have to figure that out. But we do know this. We are here to rebuild. We have not been saved and then magically brought up into heaven, but we've been left here for a reason, and that reason is to rebuild. So what I want to do now is I want to get really practical about what it looks like when a bunch of misfits and rebels and scoundrels come together, united as one, to rebuild the city. So, big picture. We do this. We go down to rebuild. This is the vision of our church. A new story for our city and its people, where together we are building a city that is beginning to flourish. And not just Port St. Lucie, not just Fort Pierce, and not just Stewart, but the entire Treasure Coast. The vision is to take the whole thing. There's a statistic that was released by the Barna Group years ago, and what it said is the area between Fort Pierce and West Palm is the number one area in all of the nation of people who have never once stepped foot into a church. You say, well, how can that be? There are plenty of churches that I see here. Well, there isn't enough, one, but two, here's the other statistic. There's a, high, a decently high percentage of people here that do go to church. And so what we have now is all of the churches in our area fighting for all of the people that go to church already. 
stealing from each church. One person, the next, the next person. Oh, we're growing. Well, but is the kingdom of God growing? And so what we said is, we don't want to do that. We want the people who would never step foot through those doors. We want our doors to be cracked open with those people. We want those people to be the ones who are peering in our windows. What's going on here? And we want those to be the people who are coming into our houses. So, how do we do that? How do we be a place where people can have honest wrestlings with faith and doubt? How are we going to take the treasure coast for the glory of God? Well, the big picture, I'm going to stay big picture for a little bit, is that we don't just stop here, but we plant a campus in Stewart, and we plant a campus in Fort Pierce, and we have preachers and pastors for those campuses. Now, why would we do that? Well, because we want the kingdom of God to come, but not just for that, only Fort Pierce and Stewart and Port St. Lucie. What can happen if we do that is we can become a training ground for other crazy church planter types who want to go and start a church in a place that is completely failing. I mean, think about if you are presenting a business model to people. I want to go and start something in an industry that is dying in a place that is dying the most. So they're crazy a bit. So we create a training ground for a bunch of crazy church planters and they come. And we take them up upon the top of the mountain and let them look down upon the mountain of the treasure coast and say, rebuild. Go with God and rebuild. So that's what we want to do. But in order to get there, what we said last year is we have to first be a church that loves reading the Bible and loves to pray. Start there. Our big, hairy, audacious goal last year was that we would love to be in the Bible and we would love to pray. Now, what's our goal this year? What's our big, hairy, audacious goal this year? Is that 100% of our regular attenders on Sunday morning would be in a discipleship group. This is a group of people, a bunch of misfits and rebels and scoundrels who are coming together, bound to one another, and bound to God in His Word and in prayer. Growing. Iron sharpening iron changing together, becoming more of who you're made to become. So that's this year. That's our goal this year. Next year, we have a goal. I'm just going to tell you our goal for the next two years, okay? So next year, we take all those, all of you who are in discipleship groups, and we begin to fight to see in you infused a compassion for all of those who have not yet been rescued by Christ who've not yet been swept up into the story. All of your friends, you just have a burden for them. Not in a weird way, but in a way of love. And that's it. Next year, the big, hairy, audacious goal is just that you would really love those people. And you want them to just, and you just want them to know the story. The year after that, we launch our gospel communities. This is a, simply a few discipleship groups that come together. They want to hang out. They're friends. Beautiful. And then they invite all of their friends who don't know about this grand, beautiful, wonderful Savior, and they just hang out together. They have dinner. That's it. You will be shocked at what happens 
when simply those who are of the eternal city are in the heavenly city and people are just hanging out. You'll be shocked at what God will do. And when we get to that point two years from now, then we will have matured into the church that we dreamed of in the beginning. But this year, what we have to do is to get into our discipleship groups and just together be bound to one another and bound to God's word. And if we can do that, it will be the start of the movement. It will be a start of what God does. That's this year. This year, we're with our Savior. We're with Him. He's rescued us. He's brought us out of the prison, and we're just being with Him, and we're growing together with Him. Next year, He takes us up to the top of the mountain. He says, look down at the, at the city and rebuild. And we look down upon the city, and we stay up on that mountain until we have a burning desire in us for that city to be renewed, to be rescued, to be redeemed by the great Redeemer. And then, year two after that, we go down the mountain. But this year, we need God to stir something in us in these groups. And we have to be bound to one another. And we've got to grow. We've got to grow in Him. And we've got to learn how to face suffering better. We've got to learn how to face trials and difficulties because they're going to come. They always come. And we're always shocked by them. And the Bible keeps telling us over and over and over again that they're coming. So, we need some people that can help us face them. So, if we will be faithful in doing that this year, then that's the beginning of the movement. Fourth point, what will we do? What will he do? So we just saw what we're going to do. Now what will he do? So if we're faithful to this, verse 11 tells us what he's going to do. As For as the earth brings forth its sprouts, and as a garden causes what is sown in it to sprout up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all the nations. Now, I want you to notice something important here. God does the work. We, our job is to be faithful and do what he's called us to do. Right now, He's called us to go to him. Collectively, all of us together and individually, but to be bound together as one. Next year, he stirs in us a compassion for our friends who don't know that this is true. Then the year after that, we are planted in the city. But God does the work. Our job is to simply remain faithful and do what the king asks us to do. To go into the city, into our neighborhoods, into our workplaces, into our families, into our groups of friends. And just love really well. And start there. Just really love. The way that you have been loved by him. Just love. And then see what he does. And then, at some point... We begin having honest conversations about faith and doubt with people we love. And when we do that, God gets to work behind the scenes and he brings beauty up out of the ashes. That is the business that God is in. He takes everything that we have broken, everything that we have burned down to the ground, and he says, okay, now it's time for me to show my glory. Now it's time for me to shine. Now it's time for me to bring beauty up out of these ashes. 
and new life. And it says righteousness and praise will spring up. And that means that the goodness of heaven is going to come down and it's going to get into the broken cracks of this world and that righteousness will be planted in the earth and then it will rise up out as oaks of righteousness. And it means the words, when it says righteousness and praise will spring up, it means the words about this great king will be echoing through all the nooks and crannies of our city. And he'll be glorified. And our city will be changed. That's the story you're in. But you have to live into it. We've waited too long sitting on the sidelines. It's time to see ourselves written into this story. And it's time to start asking, if I loved God with all of my heart, mind, soul, and strength, how would I then live? And how shall I live in response to the one who's come for me? Who's bound himself to me? Who's left heaven for me? For you, who's ripped a hole in, got through the crack, came in and died and was cracked open for his love to spill out upon us and then risen from the grave. He is like the seed that fell into the crack in our earth, the brokenness of our earth. And when he went into it and was buried, he sprouted life up out of it. And he's doing that in you. When you become aware of your sin and your shame and your guilt, all of it, and then you let him in, then he starts making you an oak. So let's pray that we all become oaks. Father, we, we, we ask right now that we would see ourselves broken open by our sin by our guilt, by our brokenness, by our shame, and that we would let you come in and heal us. As you have carried us out of this prison that we are in and brought us into freedom, God, we ask now that you would heal us, that your love would be pushed into our wounds, into our brokenness, so that life might come out. And we pray, God, that this year you would bind us to one another and bind us together to your word and in prayer so that next year you can take us up upon the mountain and you can show us this earthly city of ruins so we can start rebuilding. Prepare us now, God, for what you would have us do five years from now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.